0: Oh, don't you get me, fine. All right, don't be kidding, you're fine. All right, well, amen, let's take our Bibles and turn to, um, to the book of 2 Timothy. This morning we're going to start there. Um, we have a few scriptures we're going to look at today, not a lot, but a few. Um, if there's many, obviously dozens in the Old and New Testaments we could look at because the Bible has a lot to say about motherhood and womanhood and, and so but we want to take a look at a few things this morning as we consider um, the subject a mother's influence. You may have seen that in the, in the bulletin today and in the Bible there's a lot of examples of, of mothers who had influence and most of them were good influences but some not so good. In fact, that's, that's putting it lightly. Um, We are going to take a look at one mother today that that, that gave a horrible uh, influence and instruction. I'm sure there's nobody like that today here, but just to be reminded. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, first of all, um, verse number 5. Take a look at verse 5, and then we're going to turn over to 2 Timothy 3 and a couple verses there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, and Paul says to Timothy... When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, now notice this, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now 2 Timothy 3, and two verses there. um, Verse 14, again Paul is writing to Timothy primarily, first of all, to encourage him and instruct him, remind him. And so in verse fourteen, Second Timothy 3, uh, Paul wrote this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now that's Paul. Paul was the one he's talking about in verse 14 who taught him. But then in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, let's take a moment, and have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue. Father, thanks so much for this time that we can have in the Word of God today, and I know that some of our ladies, um, being this Mother's Day, have, have been invited by uh, children, grandchildren, and so forth, and we pray for them, pray that those who are saved would have an influence on, on those who are not, and well, we, we pray, Father, we're thankful for each one who is here today and pray for the help of the Holy Spirit And in looking into the Word of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, these, from the two passages I just read, 2 Timothy 1 and 2 Timothy 3, it's very clear, very, very clear, um, who had the initial godly influence on Timothy. His grandmother, Lois... And his mother, Eunice. And we're gonna, we'll get into that a little bit more in just a moment. And I know that you, I didn't give you any warning about this, but I do want to give opportunity. Um, I want to start with a question. How many of you to here today had a godly mother or a grandmother who influenced you for the Lord? All right, now, I want to give you opportunity really quick to mention them, somebody like to mention their godly mother or grandmother or both, and the influence that that she had. Okay, don't be shy. Yes, Robert. Yeah, my mother. Uh, she was very influential. Amen. Amen. Yes. Somebody. She, uh, she reached uh, several others as well. She sure did. Um, when we were, you know, years ago, whenever we'd have special meetings and we'd have a contest to see who could bring. The most visitors, his mom, Eleanor, she, she usually won the prize for bringing the most people. And she'd bring kids to Sunday school. And there's a number of kids got got saved or as a result. Okay, somebody else. Herb? My my grandmother, Lisa, she was quite an influence on me. And she was a Christian lady. I can remember her getting on her knees in a bedroom and, and praying. And amen. Quite an amen. Amen, amen. Okay. Somebody else want to say anything, Don? My mother also. She was a Christian lady. She had a stroke later on in years, and she was very quiet, very seldom said much. But once she had a stroke, uh, she changed completely. <laughs> and told you exactly what she had on her mind. <laughs> she brought me up to be Christian. Amen. All right. Okay, so anybody else? I don't wanna Yes, Bruce, yes, yes. For, you know, my mom, made sure you know, not only that us kids went to church, which got us at home as well, and then, you know, I think my, my my grandmother, my dad's mom as well. Over that past year, a couple of my uncles have died over you know, the past few years they have and if you read through their obituaries like Uncle Ray's last week. Oh, he was a deacon, he was this, he was that. He read Uncle Ralph's, he was a deacon in the church, he was a Sunday school teacher. He read my dad, he was a deacon in the church, a Sunday school teacher. And that can be said pretty much for all of my aunts and uncles. All 17 of them. we <laughs> <Children laughs> had 17 children, most of them. All but the two lived into adulthood. And for the most part, every one of them was, was active and involved and raised their children to know the Lord. So... Yeah, there's that, that influence there. Yes. You can't deny it. Yes. And I, and I want to just mention something along with Bruce. Knowing his mom for a number of years, that was always the first thing on her mind, or her heart. I want my kids and grandkids to be saved. I mean, she, that was just, and she was right, known in the family as she was the family soul winner. I mean, that, that was great. And um, anybody else? I want to say something too quickly, but I want to give you and everybody the opportunity All right? Moms and grandmoms. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, Well, I've said before that I was not raised in a Christian home. My parents were not saved when I was a kid growing up. So the first godly woman, there were two, but one of the first ones who really influenced my life was my great-grandmother. Her name was Pearl, Pearl Gable. In fact, her and my great-grandfather, whom I never met, they were charter members of Calvary Baptist Church in Athens. And so he was a Sunday school teacher. Again, I never met him. He died before I was born. But my great-grandmother, godly influence. Um, and then my mom was saved when I was 16. So she got saved later. And I remember she was saved. She, I had given her a tract. I brought it home because we were going to Sunday school. We had been saved, my brothers and sisters and I. And I gave her one of those tracts. It was, This Was Your Life. And as she read it, and she was so under conviction. She called Pastor Poole. He was the pastor at Mohopany, and Pastor Poole and Thelma came over to the house and led my mom to the Lord. And when I got home from school that night. I I went down in the basement. I I used to have a set of weights. Obviously, I didn't use them very much. But anyway, so she came downstairs and told me what had happened. And the first thing she said to me was, "You're saved, right?" <laughs> so so there's a, there's what I'm there's an example when a person is saved. They immediately want to see other people uh, come to know the Lord. And my great-grandma was a great influence on me when she heard that the Lord was calling me into the ministry. Um, even though she lived about an hour away, we, we would see each other frequently, and she always told me that she was praying for me. And I have, and I was going to bring it, but it slipped my mind, I have her Bible back in the study. And uh, she, her, my great-grandmother, and my mother, or my grandmother both lost their husbands fairly young, and so they moved in together and lived together until actually my grandmother died first. And uh, my grandma, great-grandma, always told me, she said, I always prayed that God would let me live as long as my daughter needed me. And so my, gran- my grandmother died at 59. My great-grandmother died at 79. And so um, my uncle... My great-grandma's son would come and check on my, great, his, my great-grandma every day. One day he got to the house, knocked on the door. There was no answer. So they got a key and went in, and they went in, the liv- and they went in the living room, and they found my great-grandma with her feet on a stool, with her Bible in her hand, and she had gone home to be of the Lord sometime during the night. And, and so she had her finger on a verse, and it was a verse in Acts that said, At midday, O king, I saw a light from heaven, And she went to be with the Lord. And so, uh, praise the Lord for influence of godly mothers. I want to read a couple. You know how I am with these things (laughs) sometimes. But I'm not going to tell you the person's name until the end of the story. Just a couple paragraphs about the influence of a woman and how it passed for down through the years. So this is written by um, uh, Curtis Hudson. He wrote a book years ago called Great Preaching on Mothers. And I use this book a lot, usually looking for poems and You know, things like that. He's written a whole series. I think there's 19 of them, and there's great preaching on Christmas, on Thanksgiving, resurrection. But anyway, this is on mothers. A good while ago, in smoky, foggy, lovely London, there was a fully surrendered, consecrated woman, gray-haired, bent, bent, spent for many hours a day over the wash tub and the ironing board. She had a boy. He, went he ran away to sea in his teens, and for years she did not know where he was. She prayed, of course. These praying mothers, and prayer never slips. Many a time the dew of her eyes mingled with the suds as she prayed for John on the high seas. She knew not where... Prayer was answered, of course. No real simple prayer ever slipped yet. It cannot. John came to Jesus after many strange experiences as a sailor and finally a captain. Then he began telling others about Jesus and he became known as the sailor preacher of London. After his experience, John began to make history, Christian history. He made it well. He made it in many ways. John Newton. London's sailor preacher was the means of turning men by the thousands to Jesus. Among the many that John Newton touched, there was one man, Thomas Scott, cultured, scholarly, moral, didn't need a savior. Scott came to Jesus, and and Scott, as many of you know, by tongue and pen swayed thousands for Jesus. Among the many that Scott touched, there was one man, the very reverse of Scott, young, dyspeptic, melancholy, Too bad for God to save. So you see the one guy was too good and the other guy too bad. But Scott touched Cooper. And Cooper found out about a fountain filled with blood. He wrote this hymn. The hymn was sung and it has saved people by the thousands. Cooper touched a young man. Uh, His name was Wilberforce a Christian statesman who was a lay preacher of the old school. Wilberforce touched thousands of the great middle class of England and inspired the empire to free its slaves. Wilberforce among the many touched one man named Richmond he was changed. Richmond knew the story of the daughter of a milkman in, in, in adjoining parish. She had had an unusual touch of the power of God. He wrote down her story. He called the little bit of a book, The Dairyman's Daughter. It went into 40-odd foreign translations, a remarkable thing in that day. That little, The little bit of a book went into peasant huts and king's palaces and all between and everywhere, burning like a soft, intensive flame. And untold, thousands of lives were touched and changed. John is still making history, that is John Newton. For wherever congregations rise to sing, amazing grace, glorious things of thee are spoken. How sweet the name of Jesus is. Sounds One there is above all others well deserves a name of friend and so on there is John making Christian history still the center of the whole thing an old woman gray haired back bent stubby fingers bending over the washing and ironing as she prayed for her boy John <laughs> ladies you never know you never know the influence that you might have. Well, let's so um, a mother's influence. Let's go first of all to the book of Luke. Um, if I can see through my tears, <laughs> um, I, um, mothers who prayed. That's my first point. This morning, I already read a little bit about John Newton's mother. Uh, mothers who praised or prayed. All right, in Luke one, where what better example than Mary? the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1. After the angel appeared to her, Gabriel, and explained God's purpose in Mary's life to be the mother of the Savior, this was Mary's response. And, and what a response, what an influence, what a lesson for, for you today, moms and grandmothers, and daughters, and granddaughters, it says, And Mary said, this is what Mary said to the angel, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And so, to to know and do the will of God is the most important thing a mother can do. And then we go over to uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. Mary was a woman who praised the Lord it says Luke 1:46 and Mary said my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, and then she continues her praise, and she mentions scripture, promises, and so on, that, knowing that therefore, showing that Mary, even as a young lady, young girl, probably a teenager, had already learned the word of God, and was already trusting, she was one of the ones, one of the remnant, she was one who was looking for the coming of the Messiah, and how, I'm sure that she would never even imagined that, that she would be the one chosen. To bear our Savior. Well, let's go to Luke or Acts rather. Acts chapter one. There's more to the story of Mary as one who praised and praised the Lord. Um, Acts chapter one. <clears throat> this takes place after the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Several of the disciples, the eleven and perhaps others, uh, met Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and, and he they saw him ascend. And then, so Acts 1 and verse 12 <coughs> excuse me. They, they then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So she was one of the ones who was there in the upper room and praying and one of the ones that was there on the day of Pentecost, no doubt, one of the ones upon whom the Holy what, Holy Spirit came, and they spoke, and so on, and many came to trust Christ. Well, let's go back to the book of Luke, and we'll take a look at the at Anna, the widow. All right, there in Jerusalem, Luke chapter two. <coughs> By the way, the scriptures and history are filled with the examples of widow women who uh, were such servants of God, warriors for the Lord, especially praying and having an influence on children, grandchildren, anybody that came around them. And so here was Anna, Luke 2 and verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asur. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Now, the Bible doesn't say if she was a mother, but she'd been married for seven years, and then her husband died. And so perhaps she had children, perhaps not. But anyway, she fits the, the, the description of a godly woman. And she was a widow of about eight fourscore and four years, 84 years, and which, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She coming in that instant, that is when they brought Jesus to be presented to the Lord when he was a baby, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel, alright? So um, that's a great example to ladies, and we have a couple widows in our midst today, and uh, I would encourage you to do this, I'm sure you may be doing it already, but to pray, night and day, pray, pray, and, and then speak to those, that you have opportunity to influence for the Lord. And so m- we could go on and on about that. We could think of Hannah who prayed and and uh, different ones like that. But secondly, and really this is the last point today, mothers who instructed, mothers who taught. Um, Lois and Eunice. Let's go to uh, Second Timothy. Um, Second Timothy and chapter 1, first of all. Again, we read that. We read that scripture before, but let's read it again. Um, and we're going to see something in, in a minute, because we're going to take a look at a couple other passages. This gives a little bit of Timothy's background. And so we're going to see uh, even more clearly how important it was that he had a godly, that had a saved grandmother and a saved mother. Right? And so in Second Timothy, again, chapter number 1, uh, Paul says in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that means not phony, genuine faith that is in thee, right? which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So let's take a look, first of all, mothers who instructed. Let's look at the faith of the instruction. Where did it start? I mean, think about, and it's good to, re- to remember what, where we're do- talking, what we're dealing with in history. Uh, we're talking about probably the late, maybe 68 to 70 AD when Paul wrote Second Timothy. So we're talking about 40 years after Jesus had gone back to heaven. We're talking about what we would say first generation ministry. First generation Christians. And so one of the early believers was Lois, Timothy's grandmother. And Paul said that that faith was in her first. She was the first one to come to know Christ in the household. And then, then, thy mother Eunice. And so they may have been saved at the same time, but at any rate, Lois was saved, Eunice was saved, and go over with me to uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then Paul says the faith was was in Timothy as well, but then 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, we read this already, but I want us to get the impact here, because in Second Timothy chapter 3, the chapter is all about the dangers, the perilous times that Paul said Timothy would face, and all the things, the evils and the false teaching and the departures and, and just all the things, just like we're seeing today. Um, I think sometimes when I read like Second Timothy chapter 3 and the description there, I think about the evening news. And I think about the newspapers and I think about all the stuff the media is portraying and what you see on TV shows. And it's it's gotten to the point now where basically my wife and I have given up on finding a decent TV show. And I'll tell you why. We find something we're interested in, and a couple episodes, you got gay people. And you got all these things going on, no matter what the program is. It can be considered the most family-oriented show, and pretty soon you got two guys smooching and, and all this kind of stuff. And we just won't. We're, we won't. We just won't. I'll tell you, we won't. <laughs> we won't. Let's watch that filth and everything like that. And so I'm saying that Second Timothy 3, the perilous times, is what's being portrayed as desirable. In our society. And I'm talking to moms. In about a month I'll hit I'll get the men. Fathers. But moms, we you need to stop being involved in the filth of this world, you know. And so Paul says to Timothy, This is all the stuff that you're gonna have to fight and deal with and in your life. And he says this in verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now he's talking in verse 14, first of all, about his ministry, Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy two. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also so paul is reminding timothy throughout second timothy and first timothy of the influence that paul had on timothy's life and that he was timothy's primary teacher in fact he calls him my own son in the faith Uh, in second timothy uh, chapter First Timothy one and second first Timothy chapter one and second Timothy chapter one both places Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. want we'll show you something in a minute that Paul didn't meet Timothy until later in his life, and so he probably had already been led to the Lord by his grandmother and mother. And so anyway, verse but back in, in 2 second Timothy three, um, verse fifteen, and that from a child. Now, the word child there, you know, the English language is is not as specific sometimes. And so child can be anybody from, you know, one day old to like 15 or 16. Although kids get to be 15, 16, they don't like to be called children anymore, but sorry. And anyway, but this word is very specific. This word means infant child. So we learn from that that, Lois and Eunice were already saved when Timothy was born. And they trained him from an infant. They taught him the Word of God. And then, of course, then Paul and him met. And let's go to that. Let's go to Acts 16, all right? Acts chapter 16. And we'll take a look here. And this indicates that this may have been the first time that Paul met Timothy. Way over, clear over in Acts chapter 16. Okay? Um, So let's take a look. Um, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul's traveling. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Another, that's the same as Timothy, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed. Okay? But his father, Was a Greek. Now, when that's when it's said like that, when the Bible talks about Greeks or Gentiles in that way, it it means that his father was an unsaved Greek. Okay, his mother was a believer, but his father was not, and there's no evidence that his father ever did become a believer. So, hence, the extra importance of Lois and Eunice and their testimony to young Timothy. So, now, by the way, verse 2, talking about Timothy, he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Alright, so, again, there's a, that's a whole other subject but the circumcision. And verse 4, and as they went through the cities, that is, Paul and Silas, and now Timothy... They delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So there you see Timothy's background. Paul meeting him and wanting to take him with him. I want us to take a look at one more verse regarding Timothy. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Um, And verse 10, of course this is written to to the Corinthians, just one more thought about Timothy, there's a lot more we could say obviously, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 10 Paul says, now if Timotheus come, in other words if he comes to Corinth, see that he may be with you without fear. In other words, watch over him, take care of him. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Now that was not, that's no small statement from Paul. That's not a light statement. And I'm saying this because it was—he was tr- he was right in being this way. But as you may know from reading the book of Acts and reading some other epistles there, that uh, Paul was not the easiest guy to work with. Because he, he demanded of others pretty much what he demanded of himself. So there weren't there aren't too many that you know, Paul mentions some. He mentions Titus, and he mentions Silas, and he mentions Aquila and Priscilla. But then he mentions others like Demas has left me and you know, things like that. In fact in Second Timothy four he says, At my first defense nobody stood with me. In other places said, All men have forsaken me, basically. But not Timothy. So Paul says he 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 does the work of the Lord as I do, and he's he's like me, and, and obviously, t- Paul was his mentor. But what a great, what a wonderful heritage! And so, just like that story about John Newton's mother, and John was saved, and then this guy was Scott was saved, and William was saved, and Wilberforce was saved. You know, just like in this case. Paul got saved. Timothy was saved, and Paul and Timothy got together, and Timothy became a pastor and a preacher, and how many did he did he lead to Christ? And how many, you know, how many Christians did he edify? And how much scripture did he preach? Well, it goes back to Lois. It goes back to the grandmother and the mother. In this case we know for sure because Timothy's father had no influence as far as good, but his grandmother and mother did. All right, um, Now, we're going to take a look at one other thing here. That is, one other individual. Here's here's a bad example. We've got to realize, and you know that these kind of people exist in our society, but Matthew 14, let's go back there. Matthew chapter 14. And this is the woman whose name was Herodias. Herodias. And so let's take a look at Matthew fourteen. It's just it is just amazing as sometimes in, in, in how the scriptures have, how there's a contrast. After all the good things that I was able to say about Lois and Eunice, there's nothing good to be said of Herodias. Alright, and I'm sorry that and I realize that we need that we need to give the gospel, we need to have compassion, we need to love the lost. And please understand that. When I when I point out the sins of our society, I am not directing that at people because God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And we need to do the same. Alright. But I'm telling you, there there are people all over the place in our country who are teaching and proclaiming ungodliness and who are destroying the, young, the children and young people of our society. Well, here in, in, in um, Matthew chapter f- number 14, starting in verse 1, we're going to take a look her- at Herodias. Number 1, we're going to take a look at her unlawful union. And at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. By the way, that tells me that Herod was a man with a tortured conscience. Anyway, for Herod had laid hold on John, you know John, John the Baptist, and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Now, interesting, and we won't, you can look at it later, but in Acts chapter 13, it tells us that, that Herod had he, he had, he lived with people who came to know the Lord, Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And so there's historical as well as scriptural evidence that Herod had been exposed to the scriptures, okay? And so, but he, 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 he didn't get saved, and then he has John the Baptist arrested. Okay? Now, if you were to have if you're taking notes or want to jot this down, in Mark chapter 6 is the other the parallel account. And it says that after John was in prison, that Herod came to fear him and called for him and communed with him and listened to John. And the Bible says he did Herod did many things and heard him gladly. So I'm saying this that John's Teaching and testimony was were beginning to have an impact on Herod's life. Well, something happened. Well, first of all, so so therefore, I said so. In fact, so Herod knew when he says it's not lawful for him. He he basically stole his brother's wife, is what he did. What Herod did, and of course, John said that's not right. And he's not saying it's against Roman law. He's saying it's against God's law. Right? It's unlawful. And so, and when he, now get this, and when he would have put him to death, that is Herod right away wanted to put John to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Now between verse 5 and verse 6 is where Mark 6 comes in and talks about Herod's death listening to John. So some time passed, in Matthew here, between verse 5 and verse 6, some time went by, which during that time, Herod began to listen to John, and send for him, and have him speak. And so again, Herod was beginning to turn towards John, and the things of God. But, verse 6, then this happens, when Herod's birthday was kept, Or observed, in other words, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. I'm not even going to go to get into that. What kind of a dance it was? Whereupon he promised, with an oath, to give her whatsoever she would ask. He got got the picture, and she, being before instructed, now that's why I chose this passage, because we're talking about mothers who instructed. All right. Lois and Eunice instructed Timothy in the scriptures. Herodias instructed her daughter as well. Now obviously that instruction didn't start on that day. She had instructed her from a child and so what kind of instruction did she give her? I can only imagine. So anybody that would let their daughter put on a sensual de- dance for the king had to had a few marbles missing, I mean spiritually anyway. But so she says and according to, to according to Mark six, the daughter of Herodias asked her mother what should I ask for? And so she, being before instructed of her mother, said give me here John Baptist's head in the charger. So she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. So that that says a lot. First of all, obviously the hatred of Herodias. In fact, the Bible says in Mark that she had a quarrel, which the Greek word translated quarrel means that she had a grudge and she had a hostility toward Herod. That is Herodias did. And so then and so then we have the callousness of her daughter. They said, okay, sounds great. I'll go, yep, yep, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, on a charger. Now the Bible says in verse 9, the king was sorry. Again, taking into consideration what Mark 6 says, the, the king was really sorry. In fact, in Mark it says he was exceeding sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, for the promise he made, and them which sat with him at me, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent, that is Herod sent, and beheaded John in the prison. Now the book of Mark says that he sent an executioner and beheaded John. And his head was brought in a charger, that is a platter, and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came, that is John's disciples, and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Well, So there you have. And so, let's go to the book of Proverbs. I have two verses, and then we're done. To the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about instruction. You know, I was listening one time uh, to a program on the Christian radio station, and they were talking about childbearing. And it was, Christian, it was a Christian conversation, I mean Christian people having the conversation, and one of them made the comment, there's no manual for raising children. And I thought, what? You're a Christian, and you said there's no manual? What, what is this? What's this? What, what is this right here? I mean, what's the book of Proverbs? Take the book of Proverbs all by itself. Did Lois and uh, Eunice have a manual for Timothy? They sure did. It was this right here. And so, um, we're, I'm assuming, now what I want to talk about lastly this morning is, is the, um, the proper response. Okay, we have some a few kids here. The proper response to godly instruction, right? So, in Proverbs chapter 1, it simply says this in verse 8. Again, Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, is assuming and presuming that he's talking, he's writing to Christian or godly mothers and fathers, because he says this, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Right? Now, in the Bible setting and even the New Testament says this is ideal. The ideal setting for a Christian family is that the father works and provides a living and the mom takes care of the children. And I'm sorry if that's offensive, I don't think it is to anybody here. That's what the Bible says, all right. In fact, first Timothy chapter five, verse fourteen, Paul says, I will therefore that the godly women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so if it's, a, if it's a biblical model for a household, the mom is with the children during the day when the, or, you know, when the dad's at work. Again, we're assuming in Bible times mostly they worked during the day and they slept at night. But anyway, you get the, you get the picture. So when Timothy, or Paul said to Timothy, you instruct the younger women to marry and bear children, guide the house, that's the same idea of the law of thy mother. And so Solomon says, and he's writing, first of all, to his own son, perhaps probably Rehoboam, you know, um, hear the instruction, listen to your father's teaching, and forsake not the law of thy mother. And so moms are to lay down the law, so to speak, in the house, and uh, and of course, it's supposed and, he's, and again in the context of Proverbs, it's the idea of a wise law based on the scriptures. In other words, teaching children in the things of God, and and you know, there, there's many famous mothers, and I I didn't read I, I could have read a lot more, but in in this book, the, uh, uh, a great preaching on mothers, there's a, the example of Susanna Wesley, who raised 19 children, and at least three of them became preachers. And she instructed them in the things of God. Now, and she made her her point. How how did she do this? Nineteen kids, and to spend time with each one individually every day. Now, that's that's something. Whoa, nineteen of them. And she was a great she was a great uh, innovator. I guess you call it because um, she also managed to have her time in the Bible and in prayer with nineteen kids. And so she taught the children when 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 mom has pulls up her apron. That means that she's praying, and she's not to be disturbed, and you're just to be quiet. Anyway, you know that. And so Solomon says here, forsake not the law of thy mother. And so r- children need to listen to the teaching. And, of course, it's, it's both ways. The moms need to make sure that you're teaching the right thing. Okay? Um, and grandmothers. I, I wanted to get in a, a thing for grandmothers, too, because it was Lois, Timothy's grandmother, all right, And oftentimes there can be, and I don't know anybody's situation except my own, but there can be times when what mom says is one thing, but what grandma says is something else. You know what I'm saying? Some people have this idea that the grandparents are supposed to spoil their grandchildren. That, that's bad. That's not, that's not biblical. And I remember the first time, I think it was Hannah. Maybe you remember, Amy. Because Amy told the girls, I think it was Hannah. She was maybe three or four years old. And Amy told her no. And she came to me, Woo, Mommy said no, Grandpa. I said, hey, if it's no, if it's no with Mommy, it's no with Grandpa. You know, So I was a bad guy, too. But, you know, uh, one of the best things we could do is grandparents is reinforce when our children are teaching their children the right thing. We need to reinforce that. Say, oh, you know, give them a candy bar. No, don't do that, all right? We need to reinforce, you know, and those sort of things. And so anyway, um, so... Do not forsake, forsake not the law of thy mother. And then I want to have one other scripture, and that's Romans chapter 16. And so we have a, I say we, I mean you. We're talking to moms and grandmoms today. You know, you have a great opportunity. And, and I don't know who it was. Like maybe some of you might know this, but wait, years ago, and I think it was a Christian who said this, This quote: "The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world," and I think I really think that's true. And I, I, again, I'm not, man, I'm not. You're not off the hook because in in June you're going to hear some of what the Bible says about men. But I have to say, and my wife agrees. We've talked about this a lot. That a lot of the ungodliness that's being promoted in our society is the fault is women. All right. It's women who are doing much. Now, not only women. I mean, there's guys that think they want to be girls and all that. That's a whole other subject. But, I mean, there's a lot of it. In fact, the book of Proverbs is filled with warning after warning to young men not to yield to the to the promiscuous, you know, the harlot type of women. So a lot of the stuff, you know, you know, abortion and all that, a lot of that is because women are just so, you know, they're screaming. I mean, I, I saw one thing on the news Oh, the other night, when they mentioned that somebody had leaked out the opinion of one of, of one Supreme Court that, that that Roe versus Wade should be overturned, and I don't know how many of you saw the Vice President Kamala Harris, she went livid. I mean, she just went berserk, and she's ranting and all that sort of thing. By the way, when they rant like that, just think. Remember this: they, it's because they know they're wrong. They know that they're evil. Romans one says that. They know that what they do is wrong. And that so the area I, I go back and I don't think Shakespeare was a Christian, but I remember reading about him or reading his things in, in, in school literature. And I remember one line from a Shakespeare play, he said this, Methinks thou dost protest too much. <laughs> in other words, you're saying, are you, So there's another saying that came out of that. Have you ever said this to somebody? Are you trying to convince me or yourself? <laughs> you know, and that's what they're doing. That's why they're screaming. So don't, don't, don't let that. And, and Paul wrote about Timothy. You know, Paul indicates in his writings that Timothy had a tendency to be fearful and timid. Did you notice that in Corinthians where he said, "Let he dwell with you, be with you without fear." And he said to Timothy, I'm mindful of your tears, and God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And so to be, you know, we need to be bold. And ladies, be bold in the Lord, you know, in the right way, with the right attitude, but stand up for the truth. Okay, we're supposed to be going to Romans 16, so let's go there, and then we're, pre- then we're done. But Romans chapter 16, let's find this very interesting. I think it's the only time that Paul refers to his mother. In the New Testament. I could be wrong. I've been known to be a few times uh, mistaken. Uh, Romans 16, verse 13. In Romans 16, a lot of it is Paul just giving greetings and commending people. So in Romans sixteen thirteen, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. So Paul's mother. So obviously she was a Christian because he, he greets her, he salutes her in the passage. Um... I remember, just before we pray, I do remember when my mom was saved, and again, I was like 16 years old, and so I was a Christian, saved, but I was a typical, in some ways, a typical 16-year-old. You know, my mom, she took notice of some of the things, and she got on me, (laughs) I mean, as soon as she was saved, she wanted to make sure that our household lived as believers, and then my stepdad got saved about nine months after my mom, and so that Things continued to change, but I just remember that her, her, her she had good standards already for her house. But when after she was saved, they got a lot better, and so praise the Lord for that. Mothers and grandmothers, and I there's, I know there's at least there's a couple great grandmoms here. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can have a powerful influence on your children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren. Let me give you some examples. I, number one through your prayers through prayers right? Don't, don't ever give up don't quit praying through your godly life and your godly instruction and counsel there is nothing in this world as important as having that kind of godly influence on others a woman that feareth the Lord she shall be praised that's how Proverbs 31 ends and so God help you as moms and encourage one another you know the bible has the principle of older women teaching younger women and all those kinds of things and so may the lord help us let's pray father thanks so much for this time that we can have together and these examples uh, biblically and also historically father there's some there is much pressure today in our society and of course there's always been in every society but i pray especially for the godly moms today that you would just help them uh, by the grace of God and by their knowledge of the scriptures and by the leading of the Holy Spirit to stand true this day. And, Father, for the young people, there's, just, there's a couple here in the in the sanctuary. There's a few back there in Junior Church. I pray that that would help us as older ones, Lord, to just take a real interest and have a burden for the young people. And, and uh, just pray. And, Father, I know this is not the subject of the message, but I'm certainly looking for a, a Timothy or two, to be able to instruct. And I just ask you to, to, to meet that request, young men and young ladies who are willing to, be, to learn and be trained and to serve God. Thank you, Lord God, for your greatness and goodness. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take our hymn books, 525. Um, sometimes I think I'd like to find a different tune <laughs> for this hymn. It's not the easiest one to sing, but um, it's to the tune... Of be still, my soul, which is a beautiful, beautiful instrumental. Um, but anyway, let's stand, please, and um, let's just sing verse. Um, let's sing verse two and four, all right? <coughs> verse two and verse four of a Christian home. Oh, give us homes with godly fathers, mothers. And I just encourage you today, moms, especially grandmoms, to to just recommit. To, and focus on the purpose and the goal of being a godly influence, all right, as we sing this. Verse 2 and verse 4. Oh, give us homes with godly fathers, mothers, who always place their hope and trust in Him, whose tender patience turmoil never bothers, whose calm and courage troubles cannot dim. A home where each finds joy in serving others, and love still shines, though days be dark and grim. Verse 4. O Lord our God, our homes are Thine forever. We trust to Thee, their problems toil and care. Their bands of love no enemy can sever. If Thou art always Lord and Master there, Be Thou the center of our least endeavor. Be Thou our guest, our hearts and homes to share. Amen. Praise the Lord, we're going to pray, but I do want to thank all of you who shared uh, testimonies about your moms, and praise the Lord for that. Father, thanks so much for this day, for the this Mother's Day, and, and Lord, thank you for the what we've looked at in scriptures, mostly good influence, but yet, Lord, there, are, there was bad influence there. We pray that thou would just help our dear ladies here today to... To embrace the good and and shun the evil and just be good examples everywhere and and help the young people that are here today uh, just to uh, you would instill in them dear father um, a love of god a love of christ a love of the word of god and may each of us here today do our part in being a good influence and helping to raise up the next generation and father just watch over us now throughout this day we pray in jesus name Amen.